This summer, we had the uh, Olympics in China, and uh, there was about 150 nations competing in the Olympics. The best, the elite athletes, the best in their field, all coming together to compete. I was thinking, what does it take to make an Olympic athlete? Well, I thought of 10 different things it takes to make an Olympic athlete. The first thing, you got to be physically fit to be an Olympic athlete. You have to have a good, a good heart, good uh, cardiovascular, whatever, and you got to be in top shape. That's the first thing. Number two, you got to be willing to sacrifice. You can't sit around and eat chocolates, candies, cakes, pies. You got to sacrifice all that. You can't pump up physically, physically by going down to Dunkin' Donuts and pumping up, right? You got to sacrifice. And you got to sacrifice your time. That's number two. Number three, you got to have that drive, that desire, that want to, to be the best you can be. You got to push yourself to the limit, limits to keep going. Number four, you must not be afraid. If you're a pole vaulter, you're jumping 20-some feet in the air. You're running as fast as you can. You've got to stick the pole in that pole stop and flip yourself over. I used to do a little pole vaulting, and it can be a little scary that you're running full blast, and you try to stick the pole in that stop. You want to make sure you stick it there. If you don't, you mess up. And sometimes, when I was a kid, we had a steel pipe or we had a bamboo pole. And sometimes you had to make sure when you flipped up that you flipped the pipe back the other way because it could fall down land on your head but you can't be afraid same way with a boxer an olympic boxer can't be a guy afraid of getting hit no way can you be the best you can be in boxing worried about somebody hitting you number five you got to be willing to take orders correction you got to go by the rules. You got to be able to take advice from other people. You can't be proud and arrogant and say, I'm not listening to anybody. You got to be listening to your coach. Let's say you're, you're that Olympic boxer and your, your coach sees that you're, you're real susceptible to a, an uppercut and he tells you, well, if you don't want to listen to your coach, you're not going to listen, you're not going to go too far. You're going to get knocked out. So you got to be willing to take orders. Number six, you can't be lazy. You got to be a hard worker. You can't say, well, I don't feel like practicing today. I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. I'm just too tired. No, yeah, that won't cut it to be one of the best in the world. Number seven, you got to be knowledgeable of your sport. Let's say you run the marathon, which is 26 miles of running. You got to be knowledgeable how you're going to run that race. Do you run the first mile as hard as you can? No, you don't. You got to pace yourself out. And a runner that isn't knowledgeable about what kind of shoes to wear, I remember when I was a kid, 
the best shoes you could get back then was a rib ball jets. And you know, if you compare them to the, the running shoes of today, these red ball jets are about like strapping two pieces of plywood to your feet. They were that bad. So you got to have the technology. You got to be knowledgeable of your sport. Same with pole volleying. If you use an old steel pipe or a bamboo pole in the Olympics today, no way you could compete with the technology of, of today. With the graphite poles, the fiberglass poles that flex and bend and catapult you up, you got to be knowledgeable of your sport to be the best. Number eight, you got to have endurance. Like I say, you got to, if you're running that 26 mile marathon, you can't run about five miles and sit down and rest a while. You got to have the endurance. Being able to go for the long haul. Don't fizzle out. Don't quit. You got to have the stamina, the endurance. Number nine, you got to be the best you can be. Your main goal is for the gold medal. You, you aren't settling for the bronze. If you want to be the Olympic athlete, you want to be the best you can be. You want to be number one. You want to strive for the best. Your focus on that is on that finish line. And number 10, you've got to be gifted, you've got to be talented, and you've got to be physically built for your sport. If you're six foot six, 450 pounds, you probably wouldn't be too good of an Olympic ice skater in the leotards going around. I doubt if you'd be an Olympic ice skater, okay? And by the same token, you probably wouldn't be an Olympic weightlifter when you're five foot two and weigh 90 pounds. You probably wouldn't be the best. So you got to be gifted and talented and physically built for the sport you're in. Now, people may say, well, I come here tonight to hear all the word of God. I don't want to hear a bunch of stuff about the Olympics. I come here to hear about the word of God. Well... What I'm telling you about the Olympic athlete, we can flip over. It takes some of the same ten things that we just talked about to be a good Christian, to be a usable Christian, on fire for the Lord. And I'm going to go right down them same ten and tell you why. Number one, I said you had to be physically fit. To be the athlete. Well, as a Christian, you maybe don't have to be the physically fit, but you need to be spiritually fit. You need to be pumped up spiritually. You need to be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. You need to be in the Word of God, reading the Word, memorizing the Word. And if I think of somebody that was a strong Christian, I think of my mom. My mom uh, uh, was suffering with a lot of stomach problems. And they thought she had diverticulitis, which is pockets in your intestines, okay? So she went to the hospital. She's in her 80s. She went to the hospital for this. And they, in surgery, they opened her up. And they found out she was full of ovarian cancer. Full of it. 
And after the surgery, they just sewed her back up, put a colostomy bag on her, put her back in her room. And my brother, my two sisters, and I was in the room when they broke the news to my mom. The doctor comes in the room, and he says, Mrs. Gaskell, we got some bad news. We found out you're full of ovarian cancer. You probably won't make it. More or less telling her she was going to die. You know what she said? She says, well, whatever the Lord's will is. She didn't stutter. She didn't stammer. She didn't hesitate. She's automatically said that. Whatever the Lord's will is. She was strong. Spiritually. She knew she was right with Jesus. She was ready to go. So, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter uh, 26, verse 3, it says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Her mind was on Christ, and she knew where she was going. She died about two weeks later in the hospital, never left the hospital. And she died on a Wednesday, but that Sunday before, she had a very good day. She was in good spirits. All the relatives and friends came to talk to her, visit her. She said her last goodbyes. That following day, the Monday, went back to see her to the hospital. She couldn't talk. She's getting weak. But when I entered that room, she smiled. She was still in peace. By Tuesday, she couldn't, she was out of it. She died early Wednesday morning. But I know where she's at. Twenty days later, my dad passed away. So, but you know, I have that peace because I know where they're at. But you know, we need to be spiritually fit as a Christian. Number two, willing to sacrifice as a Christian. Do we do things for Jesus Christ as a Christian only when it's convenient? Only when we feel like it? Only when we have extra time? Do we give Jesus Christ quality time or just the leftovers? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moths or rust do corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. And it closes with this, For where your heart is, there will your treasures be also. What it's saying here, where you spend your time, your talents, and your finances, where you spend all that is what's important to you. That's where your heart's at. And if it's in only earthly things, that's where your treasures are, where the moths and rust do corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal. But if you're spending your time doing the Lord's work, praying, memorizing the Word, 
You're building treasures in heaven. Every time you witness to somebody, every time, body, every time you help somebody or pray for somebody, you're building the treasures in heaven where they can't be taken away. Number three, as a Christian, we need to have that drive, that zeal, that enthusiasm because we're on the winning side. And the more we grow, in Christ, the more we will have that zeal, that enthusiasm, by praying, by reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, we will be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The results of being a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says in Galatians 5, verse 23, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a result of being a true Christian. You know, if you keep pumping up spiritually, you'll have that drive. It's like taking a glass of water, and you keep pouring more water into it. What happens after a while, after you keep pouring water into the cup? It overflows, doesn't it? And as a Christian, as we keep pumping up spiritually, we get overflowed with the love of Christ. And it'll go everywhere you're around. It's like a sponge. Once you suck it up so much with God's love, every time you're squeezed from the surroundings, all the heartaches and sorrows and pressures of this world, you get squeezed. And what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. That's what they should see out of a true Christian. And as we get squeezed and the sponge becomes drier, what do we have to do? Get back into the Word of God to regenerate, to keep strong, to keep filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to have that drive. Number four, as a Christian, we shouldn't be afraid. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. We shouldn't be afraid. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Jesus says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And again, in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he careth for thee. And number five, willing to take orders, willing to take correction. In other words, a Christian shouldn't be proud and boastful. He should be humble. A Christian should be the one that listens, that cares. Because the Bible says a person that's proud in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 5, says everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before a fall. And it talks about correction. Proverbs uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Correct not a fool, because he will hate you. Correct a wise man, and he will love you. Proverbs 15, verse 5 says, A fool despises his father's instructions, 
But he that regardeth correction is wise. So we need to be able to take correction. We don't want to be proudful. And sometimes the Lord chastises us, has to correct us as a Christian. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he also chastises or corrects or rebukes. And in Psalms, it says right here in Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. In verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy ways. Like I say, I've been coming here over 17 years, and I've talked to a lot of people. And some of them told me this is the best thing that ever happened to them in their whole life was coming here to the Cass County Jail because it got them away from all their old druggy buddies and all the old hogmire of sin they were in. It got them out of all that mess. And it got them in here to the chaplain service, to jail ministry. And they came to Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior through this, coming to jail. So sometimes these trials, these tribulations, these afflictions are for our good. And there's two ways we can take these trials and tribulations and afflictions. We can shake our hands in God and say, why? Or we can humble ourselves and say, Lord, help me to grow. Help me to learn through these trials and tribulations. So we got to be willing to take orders, willing to take correction. Willing to take advice. Number six, a Christian shouldn't be lazy. It ruins our testimony as a Christian. If you're at work, you're, in your, you're the lazy worker. What kind of testimony are you to the unbelievers? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, If you don't work, neither should you eat. A Christian should be that hard worker. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. There's people out there think they deserve a free ride. You know, a Christian shouldn't think that way. We need to be the hard worker. We need to take pride in our work, do a good job in what we do, so others will see the good works that we do, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. A Christian should be a hard worker. He should support his family, his kids, his wife, and he should be the spiritual leader of his home. Set the example. Number seven, the Christian should be knowledgeable of the Word of God. John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Proverbs 8, verse 10, it says, Knowledge of the Word of God is better than gold. In this Word of God, in the Bible, there's buried treasure in here. And a lot of times we just let it go. There's buried treasure in here. It says in Proverbs 10, verse 14, A wise man layeth up knowledge. 
Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, it says, People are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge. They rejected the word. They're destroyed for lack of knowledge. Colossians 1 verse 10, it says, That you walk worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We need to always be increasing in the knowledge of God. And the Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. If you're a Christian, you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, you've got to know the Word of God. Show them. The Word of God is what touches hearts and lives. That's what makes the difference, the Word of God. Number eight. As a Christian, we need that endurance. We need to be able to go for the long haul. Things aren't always easy. And I believe this day and age is going to be harder than ever to be a Christian. Our country seems to be going down the slippery slope, getting further and, way, well, further, and further away from the Word of God. Everywhere you go, they want to kick the Bible out, the Word of God out. And it's going to be harder. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and be not weary, and they shall walk and not faint. There's a saying that says, winners never quit, and quitters never win. As Christians, we need to hang in there. Hang on to Jesus Christ. We need to be like the Energizer Bunny, on fire for Jesus, going and going and going and going for Jesus Christ. We're on a winning side. Number nine, it's Christians. We need to be the best we can be. We need to keep focused on Jesus Christ, having our eyes on the finish line where Jesus Christ is at. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Colossians 3, verse 24, it says, Knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance in your service of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be the best. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, seeing also that we are surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that slows us down. And let us run with, with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, if you was in the Olympics running a 100-yard dash, and just before you're going to race, they come up and put a ball and chain around your ankle. The gun goes off, and you're running. There's 12 of you. And you got a ball and chain around your leg. You gonna make it? Are you gonna be first? 
you're going to be last. And in this world that we're racing in, world of our life, when we have that sin, a, a ball and chain of sin on us, it's dragging our whole life around. And you wonder why others are getting ahead of us. It's because of sin that's dragging us down through the hog mire and the mud, and we're down in there, and we're never going to win. That's why we need to come to Jesus Christ. He'll release that chain of sin, and we can run. Life is so much easier with Jesus Christ. I remember in the Word of God it talks about Jesus walking on water. And Peter, one of the disciples, he's in the boat, and he sees Jesus out there walking on water. And he, he just goes, he starts running towards Jesus, and he's, he's running right on the water. And all of a sudden he realizes he's on the water. And he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink, and he yells, Jesus, save me! And Jesus reached down and grabbed him. He was walking on that water till he took his eyes off Jesus. We as Christians need to realize, keep our eyes on Jesus. And number 10, we got to be gifted. we got to be talented. And as a Christian... We all have gifts, and we all have talents as a Christian. He gave us those. But we don't all have the same gifts and the talents. And here's some of the gifts and some of the talents as Christians that we have. We don't have all of these, but we all have some of them. Some of us are teachers. Some people are good at comforting others. Some are good at being a pastor. Some people are good at encouraging others. Some people are good at being prayer warriors. Some are gifted at fixing, fixing things, maintenance type work. Some are good in finances. Some are good at growing things like the flowers, vegetables. Some are knowledgeable of the Word of God. They have wisdom. Some are good at being listeners. Some are good at just being caregivers. But you know, as the body of Christ, as the church, you take all them gifts and you put them together. And that's what makes a strong local church, is all them gifted people together for one goal, to glorify Jesus and draw others to Jesus Christ. And which one's the most important? They're all important. The Bible compares the body of Christ like a physical body. See, our physical body has arms, hands, feet, eyes, legs. Which one would you want to cut out? Would you want to cut out your eye? Would you want to cut off a leg? Every one of them's important. And in the body of Christ, each and every one of us is important with our own gifts and our own talents. And the church suffers when part of that body is hurting, when part of that body isn't there. So you as believers here, when you get out, you have gifts, you have talents, you need to get in a local church and use them. And you'll bless others with your ministry. And others will bless you with theirs. 
It's a war going on. It's a spiritual battle out there. And we, as Christians, need to stick together and be part of that army. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men, so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I just gave you ten attributes or characteristics or qualities the Christian needs. And you know, we talked about the Olympics when everybody was there in China. When that Olympic weightlifter, let's say, was weightlifting, how many people seen him represent his country? The whole world. People seen him live right there in the arena. People seen him on television all over the world. People seen him on the internet. They're shown in front of everybody. And we as Christians, whoever we're around, everybody sees us. And it's an awesome responsibility being a Christian because all eyes are upon us in the workplace, at home, at church, on the street, wherever you're at. If you say you're, you're a Christian, they're watching. And I tell you this, don't talk to talk if you don't walk to walk. Don't talk and say you're a Christian if you're not walking it or living it. Because you're turning more people away from Jesus Christ than you ever draw to Jesus Christ. Don't even mention it if you aren't living it. It's an awesome responsibility being a Christian. I remember at work years ago before I was ever saved, this guy was trying to witness to me, tell me about Jesus. He had his Bible and everything. Then later in the day, I heard him talking to a few guys, telling them dirty jokes. There went his testimony with me. I never listened to a word that man had to say after that. You know, what a hypocrite. I ask you tonight, do people see Jesus Christ in your life? People that you work around, do they know you're a Christian before you have to tell them? Do they see Jesus flowing through your life? they see the love, the concern, before you have to tell them? I've heard of people working around others for years and never even knowing this person was a Christian. That's hard to believe. I mean, that light should be shining. Well, if we had to cure for cancer, if I had to cure for cancer... I'd want to share it with everybody. If I knew the cure, my mom would still be alive today. We have the cure for spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. That's spiritual death. That's hell. We have the cure. The cure is Jesus Christ. And we need to tell others. We don't want to hide it. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And in John chapter 3, 
Verse 16, most of you know that. And then through 18, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world may be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. I'm going to close with this story that I close with about every time. And those that's ever heard me preach, I'm going to close with the story about the old missionary. And the reason I close almost every time with this story is because when I come here, there's a lot of guys that tell me, you know, Gary, when I get here, I say I'm never coming back. I say that, and I'm sincere, but I always come back. I'm in and out of this jail over and over again. What can I do that I'll never come back? Help me. And I tell him this story because there's a lot of truth and wisdom in this story. And that's why I end this about every message with this story. It's about an old missionary on horseback. This is the old cowboy and Indian days. This old missionary take his big old Schofield Bible on horseback and he'd go from Indian village to Indian village, telling the Indian people about Jesus Christ. And one day he's sharing the word of God with an old Indian chief. And the Indian chief asked Jesus Christ into his heart to be his Lord and his Savior. So the old missionary leaves. And about three months later, he comes back into the village on horseback, and he sees the old Indian chief by the campfire one evening. And he sits beside him, and he asks the Indian chief, he says, how is it being a Christian now? And the old Indian chief says, it's great. He says, my sins are forgiven. The load of sin I was always carrying around is gone. I have that peace in my heart that passes all understanding. And I know if I die today, I'd be in heaven. But he says, you know, there's two cats inside of me. And he said they fight from the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed. They're always fighting. And the missionary says, what do you mean there's two cats inside of you fighting? And he says, well, one cat represents the flesh, the old nature, the old me that says, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then the other cat represents Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't do that. Do this. And he says, they're fighting from the time I get up in the morning till the time I go to bed. And the missionary says, well, which cat usually wins? And here's the whole thing, the whole story. The engine chief says, the one I feed the most wins. There's the, win there's the wisdom in it. If you're a Christian here tonight, and you're feeding the flesh all the time, that's what's going to direct your life. But a true Christian gets into the Word of God 
memorizes the Word of God, prays the Lord, gets in Bible studies, and pumps up spiritually. Not the physical part. You need to pump up spiritually, like my mom did. She was spiritually fit. She could handle about anything. She even handled death at the door with no problem. That's how you pump up spiritually. That's how you become strong. And that's how you stay out of this jail. Because if you pump up the flesh when you get out of here, you're going to be back. You get around the old friends doing the same old stuff. You need to pump up spiritually, getting a good Bible-believing church, having brothers and sisters in Christ that can encourage you. And if they see you starting to go astray, they can pull on you and say, Hey, hey brother, hey sister, you need to get back. You need to pump up spiritually. And now... If you're here tonight and you never asked Christ in your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, how many cats do you have inside of you? You have one cat, the flesh. What cat's going to win? What cat's going to control your life? The flesh. The Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. He knows all the tricks. He knows the baits to put in front of you. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows how to grab you. He knows whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography. He knows what it is that's the baits. So there's no way you're going to withstand the devil without Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you tonight, where do you stand? Is Jesus Christ knocking on the door of your heart tonight? Is he tugging? The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open that door, I will come into him. Is the Lord tugging? Is he tugging? In just a minute here, we're going to play a song, Amazing Grace. And as as the song plays, if the Lord's tugging on your heart tonight to get right with Him, come forward. And I'll show you out of the Word of God how you can leave here knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. I'll give you this booklet, Knowing God Personally. Don't be afraid to stand for God. Because if you just sit, you're falling for Satan. If the Lord's tugging, it's time to get right. If you think you can be a secret Christian, (laughs) no. You know what Jesus Christ said in uh, Matthew 10.32 and 10.33? He says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. Does that sound like being a secret Christian? One night a man came forward here and he said it was hard coming up. But he decided to come up. But when he was sitting there, just getting ready to get up, the guy next to him grabbed him and said, sit down. But he came up anyways. Satan had his last little tug. He had his last tug. But he stood for Jesus Christ. He got right and his sins were forgiven. 
So as the song plays, come forward if you need to do business with Jesus.